Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. So where we left it off last week, last Easter, we were talking about the fact that Jesus gathered over 500 people. Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians 15, that at one occasion, Jesus met with over 500 people, and he shared with them some things that I think were important of why he resurrected. One is that he has all the authority. That means that he, has, he is all in control over everything. He, Jesus said it this way. He says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. There's nothing that goes past me. I'm aware and acutely aware of, of everything. He has all the authority. He also told them on that mountain that day that he designated that uh, he wanted them to go and to make disciples. And they certainly did. They f- certainly followed that mandate and they went and made, made disciples, people that were beginning to follow Jesus. And that radically changed things. That changed things from the fact that um, they, they basically turned their back on their one faith of Judaism and started just being Jesus followers. And then he told them that when you go, I'm going to be with you. And that's a great uh, thing for all of us to know that just as present as Jesus was for them on that mountainside, just as present as Jesus was for his disciples, uh, as, as the gospel writers share with us, he's as present with us today. And that wherever we are and whatever we go and whatever we go through, he's always with us. And the reason that is, is because he tells us, and Luke records this, as Luke writes the, the story of the early church and the beginning of the church, of uh, post-resurrected Jesus. And Luke tells us this, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And so Jesus is saying to those that were gathered around that you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to be my presence in you wherever you go. I'm with you. It's, there's going to be power in that. And you're going to be my, my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And they took that message and they took that message serious and they went out and thousands and thousands of people really overnight became Jesus followers. They left their faith, they left their religion and they started to follow Jesus and have a personal relationship with Jesus. And it started out in Jerusalem where Peter went back to Jerusalem, preached his message, we shared that last week, and thousands of people came to know Christ. As a result of that, the church just grew incredibly and they had some issues and they had some things that they had to work through they had to figure out how to organize the masses and that came with some with some problems but they also had to deal with some persecution because anything that God is doing there's an enemy that's going to try to stop it anything that God wants to advance there's going to be an enemy that's going to come up against it and they experienced tremendous amount of persecution and so post and so Peter's messages were basically this his message was it was simple he died now he's alive we've seen him and you should believe in him that was Peter's message and it caused a lot of you know uncertainty and it caused a lot of persecution and in doubt but that was his message he didn't have you know a bible he didn't have Matthew's account yet or Mark's or Luke's or John's he didn't have any of Paul's writings yet he just had this one simple message he died now he's alive We've seen him and you should believe in him. As a result of that, they had profound change 
in post-resurrection. There was profound change happening post-resurrection. First thing was is that predictability was lost. They didn't know what God was going to do from one day to another. They weren't sure what God, where God was going to send them, what God was going to do, and how God was going to work in their lives from one day to another. So the predictability of understanding what the day-to-day would look like was completely lost. And they didn't know how they were going to be treated as persecution is rising. They didn't know if they were going to be, you know, imprisoned. They didn't know if they were going to be beaten. They didn't know if they were going to even be put to death. So they lost all predictability. But they also lost all distractibility. They lost the fact that there wasn't something that they had to think about as far as their old religion. They didn't have to think about all the do's and the don'ts and, and, you know, all the rules and the regulations. All they were thinking about was one thing. Get the message of Jesus out. Get the message of Jesus out. He died. Now he's alive. We've seen him and you should believe in him. And so they were, weren't distracted by anything other than the fact that, that God sent them out to make disciples. He was going to be with them. He was going to, you know, he had all the authority and he was going to control all the circumstances. And so they, they weren't distracted by anything other than sharing that message. But with the persecution came the loss of mobility. They They had a hard time getting that message out, or at least they struggled with it, even though God continued to allow it to spread. And so they thought if, man, if we imprison them, we thought, they thought if we just, you know, torture them, and we thought, they thought if we could just put some of them to death, that they would lose all of their mobility. They thought if we just stopped the spread, that it wouldn't accelerate. If we just stopped it, stopped the message, stopped the messengers, then the the message wouldn't go out. But God was doing something amazing. God was doing something new. God was doing something better. And, And through that persecution, through that that difficulties, through those uncertainties, through that crisis, God used a crisis to accelerate a plan he had beforehand. That he didn't want just his message to go out to Jerusalem. He wanted it to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. God used a crisis because as a result of it, people were scattered. People would run because they weren't sure if they were going to survive a day. And so they would, they would pick up and they would take, take their families. They didn't stop being Jesus followers. They just moved locations to try to protect themselves and to, and to be safer. And so as a result of that, people, believers, followers of Jesus were scattered all around the area and moving out, moving out, moving out. God used a crisis to accelerate a plan that he had beforehand. And that's important for us to remember this day. 10 years go by, 10 years go by after the resurrection of Jesus. And we have an account that God was getting ready to do something new. God was getting ready to do something better. Even though God had it in a plan beforehand, it took about 10 years for them to get there. But God used, like I said, God used this crisis to accelerate a plan that he had. And 10 years go by, and Luke records in Acts chapter 10 that there was a man by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius lived in Caesarea, and he was a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. Now, he, he was a, in, what that means was that he was a Roman soldier, and he was a centurion, which means that he was in charge of about 100 soldiers. So he was a man that had authority, but it tells us that he, that he was, in verse 2 in Acts 10, a devout man and one who feared God 
He feared God with all of his household and gave many alms. What does alms mean? It means gifts to, to the poor. And he says, to the Jewish people and pray to God continually. So here was this guy. He was a devoted guy. He was devoted to the Jewish people's God, God of Jehovah, our God that we serve and we worship. And he says that he was devoted, that he feared God with his household, and he gave gifts to, to the poor Jewish people, and he prayed to God continually. And God hears his prayers, and God sees his devotion, and God wants to now introduce him to the most important person that he can be introduced to, and that's Jesus. God hears his devotion, hears his prayer, sees his, 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 his devotion, and God now wants to him to realize what it means to have a relationship with him. And so here's an important point. God sees our devotion and God hears our prayers. I want you to know that. God sees our devotion and God hears our prayers in a time of uncertainty, in a time of questions, in a season of, of change. God sees your devotion and he hears your prayers. And so God tells Cornelius in the time of his prayer and in the time of his devotion, God sends a messenger to Cornelius and says, Cornelius, I want you to go and I want you to find Peter. I want you to send some some men and go and get Peter. And so that's what he does. It says in verse five, now dispatch some men to Joppa. That's where Peter was. Send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. So just to kind of give you a picture of what this looks like, Peter's in Joppa. Uh, um, Cornelius is in Caesarea. So there's Joppa, there's Caesarea. So there's about 30 miles difference between the two. So Cornelius is now saying, send some guys there's, that's where Peter is. Peter's doing ministry. Peter's doing God's work there in Joppa. He's now moved out of Jerusalem now, 10 years later, and he's now expanding and accelerating the plan of God that God had beforehand. And so he, he sends some men down to Joppa. This is now sort of where Joppa looks like uh, today. And it says that Peter was staying at another guy's house by the name of Simon. Simon lived off, you know, by the water. And so this is sort of a picture, sort of a beautiful picture place to be. So this is where uh, Peter is. Now, Peter, it says that he, uh, the next day, it says Peter was going to go up to uh, the, the roof. So it says on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop at the sixth hour to pray. And this verse, verse 10 it says, but he became hungry and was desiring to eat. Why? Because the sixth hour is about noon and, you know, it was lunchtime. And that's when we eat lunch. He says, but he came, became hungry and desired to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. While they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. Now, here's sort of the big idea for this message today. Okay, Here, here's what it is. Here's what it is. You can't eat a feast without preparing for it first. You can't eat a feast without preparing for it first. You can't, or in other words, I'll say it this way. You can't have a harvest without breaking ground first. You can't do a remodel without having a demo day first. You can't have victory without putting hard work in first. So you can't eat a feast without preparing for it first. So point is, while they were making preparations for lunch, God was making his own preparations with Peter. 
So Peter falls into what, what the Luke records is this trance or this has this dream and these vision. And he has this vision and this vision is very unusual. And these were the best pictures that we could find of Peter's vision. And so here's what it looked like. Here's what it looked like. It was this, this blanket. And on this blanket, while he's sleeping, you can sort of see Peter sleeping down there in the corner. And on this blanket, there are these four-legged animals. This is the vision that Peter's having. Now, he didn't just have this once. He had it three different times. This blanket that was from heaven, lowered down, up to heaven, lower down, up to heaven, lower down. On three different occasions, Peter has this vision. God tells Peter through this vision or through this, this dream, he says, Peter, I want you to kill him, I want you to cook him, and I want you to eat him. Now, on this are what, what, what Jewish uh, people uh, claim to be uh, clean animals, and unclean animals. There were clean animals that they, they, they would consider to be clean that they could eat, but there was, that they had a list of unclean animals, animals that they could not eat at all. But now God is telling Peter, listen, I want you to kill them, cook them, and eat them. And here's Peter's response in verse 14. Look at what he says. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never... I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. God, listen, I, 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 never in my life have I eaten anything like that. And I'm not going to start now, Lord Jesus, God, sir. Like, I'm not going to do that. Like, and, and you'd think Peter by now would learn his lesson, right? For, verse 15, <clears throat> again, a voice came to him a second time. Okay, and then a third time. We, but he says, but God has what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Peter, I know that what you once considered to be unholy, unclean, is now going to be clean and holy. Why? Because I, God says, I am going to cleanse it. I'm going to make it holy, and I'm going to make it unclean. So, so no longer, no longer, no longer consider these things unholy, because I'm making them clean. I'm doing something new. I'm doing something better. And this was Peter's preparation for what God was gonna do in just a few days from then. And so here's what it says. This is now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be. As you would be, as I would be. I, he was greatly perplexed. Like, what in the world did I just have a dream about? I mean, you've had some dreams, I've had some dreams, and you wake up and you're like, what was that about? You know, that was weird. He couldn't even wrap his mind around what it was that he saw and understanding why he saw what he saw. So here's what happens for all of us. And I think this is true for me. It's true for you. Look, look, I think this is, when God is making preparations, we are often greatly perplexed. When God is doing something, and history will teach us this, when God is doing something, when God is preparing, we are oftentimes greatly perplexed. The time between the Old Testament and the New Testament was what, what they call 400 years of silence. In other words, what that means is this, God didn't say a word for 400 years, but yet in that 400 year period, God was doing an amazing work. But it was perplexing to people because they were 
like, where is God? What is he doing? How come we haven't heard from him? What, does, is he, does he not care? You know, and all these things. When God is making preparations, we are often greatly perplexed. Let me give you a couple examples of this. One example is Noah. Noah. Noah was, had, had, had uh, God come to, came to Noah and said, God, excuse me, Noah, this is, this is what I want you to do. I want you to build a boat. And the reason why I want you to build a boat, because in a certain amount of days, it's going to rain. And Noah had to have been greatly perplexed by that. Because Noah is thinking, what is a boat and what is rain? What is a boat and what is rain? And then God gives them the instructions. Here's, here's the instructions to this, this ark. And Noah's probably looking at this and going, are you kidding me? This thing is massive. Oh, and by the way, two of every kind of animal are gonna come onto this boat when, when the rain begins, two of every kind. And Noah had to have been greatly, greatly perplexed by what God was preparing, what God was going to use Noah to prepare. And it tells us, by faith, Noah, being warned by God about the things not yet seen. So God was saying, Noah, there's some things that are going to happen that you don't, you've never seen before. In reverence, in other words, in trust, or God, you have authority and I don't. In reverence, prepared prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world, this is what God did, and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Even though Noah didn't understand what was going on, that God was preparing something great. God was preparing something significant. And God used Noah to prepare for something that God was about to do. Now, let me give you another example. David, David. David one day, shepherd boy, youngest of his family, you know, um, not much to his appearance, you know, and not much at all of, of the, you know, of his, of his uh, image or at all. He comes to David and says, David, I want you to go out and I want you to go and I want you to bring lunch to your brothers. And so David goes out to where his brothers are on a battlefield and he brings lunch to them. And as he's bringing them lunch, there's on the other side of the valley, there's the Philistine army. And in the valley, there's this Philistine champion. Maybe you've heard of the name Goliath. Goliath is standing there taunting the nation of Israel's army. And he's challenging them, bring your best fighter, bring your best warrior. And nobody is willing to fight. Nobody is willing to challenge Goliath. And David's wondering, after he's just bringing his brothers lunch because they're out on the battlefield, David is wondering, why isn't anybody challenging this guy? Why isn't anybody standing up to this guy? I mean, we're God's people and they're not. They're unclean and we're clean. They're unholy and we're holy. Why isn't anybody standing up to this giant? So David says, I'll fight him. I'll fight him. And so they go to King Saul and King Saul's like, you, you're going you're gonna to challenge this guy? <laughs> he probably laughed, you know, looked at him, was like laughing, no way, you're not going to be able to take this guy. But hey, you know, let's get, be entertained for a minute. And so he's, Saul's like, hey, why don't you try to put on my armor? And so they put on, David put on Saul's armor and David's just like, ah, this isn't really fitting the way that I want it to fit, looking the way I want it to look. 
and I just can't, I have no mobility here and I'm just restricted. And, and he's, David's like, you know what? I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna take my slingshot. I'm just gonna grab some stones and I'm gonna take, take down this giant. And so David says something to Saul that I think is significant. And David says something to Saul that I believe illustrates this point of this, that oftentimes God is preparing us for something better. God is preparing us for something new, a new normal. And David says this to to King Saul. And David said, the Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion. Now, David, what is David referencing? David is referencing the time that he was taking care of his sheep and a lion came to try to steal some sheep and, and have lunch for itself. And David came up against this lion and killed a lion. And then it says, and from the paw of the bear. In other words, he, another time a bear came to take some sheep and David stood up against a bear and killed a bear. He says, he says, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. In other words, David saying, you know what? God has prepared me for this moment. God has prepared me for this victory. And the way that God prepared me for this victory is that he brought a lion to come and just take sheep. And I took that lion down. And another way that God prepared me is God brought in another, a bigger animal, a bear. And and God allowed me to take down this bear to prepare me for this victory. And God used that opportunity and David recognized that. David recognized that. David was intuitive to the fact that God was preparing him for something great. And he delivered his hand from the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. And guess what? The Lord was with David. You see, God's preparations, God's preparations ready you for God's purposes. God's preparations in your life ready you for God's purposes. So back to the story of Peter and Cornelius. Peter comes out of this dream and he once he's trying to wrap his mind around what he saw, this, this, this blanket full of you know, unclean and clean animals, he's trying to figure out what this was about. It's very perplexing to him. It says that he, he gets a knock on the door and there was three men standing at the door and he opens the door and, he, and these three men say, hey, our, our, our master Cornelius is asking you to come and to share some things about God, what God is, is doing in, in these days. And so Peter gets affirmation from God that he's supposed to go with these men. And, G, and Peter does. Peter goes with these guys and he heads that 30-mile journey to Caesarea to Cornelius' house. He arrives to Cornelius' house in Caesarea and Cornelius has now invited all of his family and all of his friends to come to the house. Why? Because the apostle Peter is coming to his house. And it says that when he showed up, it says that they ha- are having a conversation. And, and it, says, it says this, as he talked with him. Now, you've got to imagine 
what is happening for Peter in this moment. Peter is just now coming out of having a dream, following some, some Gentiles to a Gentile's home, which was forbidden by Jewish law. And Peter is now having a conversation with Cornelius, a Gentile man, a Roman centurion, having this conversation. You got to imagine what Peter's feeling. I got to imagine as he was talking to him, Peter felt an overwhelming amount of anxiety. Peter's going, I'm in the presence of an unclean person, yet God just gave me a dream that what God has cleansed, I'm not to call unholy or unclean. And so Peter's starting to realize that this is what God might be doing. But yet still, Peter felt, I got to imagine, and you need to as well, that Peter felt an overwhelming amount of anxiety as he's talking with them. Because Peter's now recognizing that it's not just Cornelius and three of his friends. It's now his whole family and all of their friends, young and old, in this house. And he's getting ready to invite Peter into his house and eat with him. This was a huge no-no, but it, it was clear to Peter that God was getting ready to do something new. But I, I just, I'm trying to think of what do, what do I compare this tension that Peter felt? How, how do you compare this kind of anxiety, angst that Peter had before he stepped into this unclean, unholy person's house. And I, I, I don't know, the best thing I could think of is, it's like you going into a house and thinking they have COVID-19. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's tension right there. That's like stress. You're like, not me, uh-uh. They believe, Peter's whole life, Peter's whole life, you gotta feel this tension. They believe that they had Gentile germs and that after he would leave the, the house of Cornelius, that he would have to go and quarantine for 14 days. Like that's what he felt in that moment. It would be like you and me going into a house thinking that somebody had coronavirus. That's what Peter felt. But Peter realized that God prepared him to do something that he's never done before and to step into something that God was doing and God was working ahead of time on. And it says this, verse 27, as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. So this is just giving Peter more anxiety. He's like, oh my goodness. I mean, if anything, if any time Peter wanted the social distance, this was the moment. He's like, why are we all here? There's too many of you. Oh my goodness. I'm going to get your germs. I'm going to have to go, go quarantine. No, Peter, is, he's, he's, he enters and he found many assembled. Then it says, and he said to them, you yourselves know and he tells them, he tells them, he tells them the tension that he felt. You yourselves know, you already know this, how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God, here's what he, he knows this now. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Peter's going, ah, yesterday, I wouldn't have showed up. Yesterday, I wouldn't have visited. Yesterday, I certainly wouldn't have ate with you. But today, God has shown me that he's doing something more that I can even imagine. I could even imagine. And so Peter goes and tells them, shares with them 
what he was there to share with them about. And it says the word, in verse 36, the word which he had sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace. He tells them, that he says that you know the, the, the history, you know uh, about Jesus. He says that he, God sent Jesus, the word which he sent the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is Lord of all. All Jews, Gentiles, male, female, all nations. He's Lord of all. And then he says in verse 37, you yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea. And so they were aware of something that was happening, that what God was doing all throughout Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism, which John proclaimed. What was he telling them? He was telling them what John did and how John was preparing, how John was preparing the way of Jesus. That's what he was reminding them. He's like, just like God had to prepare me to step into your home, God was preparing the nation of Israel. God was preparing the world. And God began that preparation through John the Baptist. Why? Because John's message was, I'm here to proclaim and to prepare the way of the Lord. And Peter then went, goes into his sermon. What's Peter's sermon? He died. He's alive. We've seen him. You should believe in him. He died, now he's alive. I'm a witness of him, and not just me, but over 500 people saw him alive, and you, and you should believe in him. And Peter ends his message and says of him, all the prophets bear witness. Not just, Peter said, not just me, but if you go back to our Old Testament, you go back to our scriptures and you go back to all of our, our prophets, you will see, you will find that all the prophets bear witness that through his name, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. Isn't, this wasn't just new thing that they were talking about. This was something that was predicted. This was something that was prepared a long time ago through all the prophets that God was gonna bring forgiveness for sins for every single person. Not just a nation, but all nations. Now, the cool thing is, is that it tells us that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening, everybody in, in the household, all of these Gentiles who were listening to the, the messages. Now, this is what I love. I hope, I hope right now as I'm still speaking that God is speaking to you. I, I hope right now that I, as I'm talking that God is laying some things on, on your heart. I hope that right now as I'm talking that the Holy Spirit interrupts this talk and is telling you and encouraging you that God is preparing something great for you. And I hope that that's what God is doing. And as they were listening to the message, those that the Holy Spirit fell upon those, and then it says in verse 45, and all the circumcised believers, these were the, the, the men that were with Peter, that came along with Peter, because Peter just didn't go alone. He, he brought some people with us. And all the circumcised believers, the Jewish believers, who came with Peter were amazed why were they amazed? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles also. God was beginning to do something great and new and better. Now, Peter and his friends leave after that incredible experience and they saw the work of God, they saw the hand of God, and they saw the Spirit of God be poured out on Gentiles also. So Peter goes back to Jerusalem 
where the church, where the church leaders are gathered, and he tells them about their, his experience. And they were annoyed with Peter. They were frustrated with Peter. They were like, you went to a Gentile's home and you ate with a Gentile? And then Peter goes, yeah, but God gave me this vision. God told me that what he considers to be clean, you know, that I should consider to be clean. And, and he's telling them and explaining all this to them. And it says this, look what it says. They, here's how they respond, the Jewish leaders. It says, when they heard this, what did they hear? They heard about Peter's experience. They heard about what Peter shared and they, and they couldn't deny it. They heard about what Peter went through and they heard what Peter saw and, and what Peter did. He traveled to Caesarea and, and all the people that were gathered and the tension that Peter felt and the, yet Peter walked into the house and yet Peter preached his message. He died, he's alive, we've seen him and you should believe in him. And they did and the spirit fell. The same experience that happened to us 10 years ago happened to them in his house. And it says that they quieted down I love that. And they quieted down and glorified God saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And they realized after hearing Peter's experience and hearing Peter's message that God was doing something and preparing for something amazing. And it was the beginning of what we know, know as the church. And from there, it exploded. All nations, all nations are welcome into life with Jesus. And as we said last week, following Jesus makes your life better and it makes you better at life. So here's how I want to land this plane. Now, there's some things that are critical for you to understand. I hope you're listening. I hope you're, with, I know there's distractions at home. I get it. I get it. But I hope you understand, in order for this to happen, people had to be listening and, and doing what God wanted them to do. People had to be listening, paying attention, and doing what God wanted them to do. Peter had to listen and pay attention to what God was preparing and God was preparing Peter for in just a few days after that. Cornelius had to listen to God as, as, he, as God told him to go and send for Peter. And he did, he had to listen and be obedient to what God was telling him to do. And the Jewish leaders that, or excuse me, the, the church, the Jerusalem church had to listen to Peter's experience and eventually say, quiet down and listen and say, okay, this must be what God is doing now. So here's what I want to, us to look at. I want us to think about this during this time in this challenging season of our life. Pay attention to the intention through the preparation. I want you and I want all of us to pay attention to the intention. What is the intention as we're going through what I think, and I, maybe, you, maybe you're there with me, a preparation time, a time where God is doing something. And, and I hope you believe and I hope you know that in this, in this season, in this crisis, that God is doing something. God is preparing us for something and God is preparing you for something significant. And why should we pay attention? Why do we need to pay attention? Why do we need to pay attention to the intention as we go through this preparation period? Why? Because in a climate of crisis, in a climate of crisis, you need clarity. In this time, in the season of challenge, all of us, all of us need clarity. 
John had a vision of, of Jesus and, and, and Jesus shared with John a message that he wanted to give to some churches. And it's recorded in Revelation chapter two and three. And John is recording and he's sharing with some churches these letters that he wrote as he's getting this word from Jesus as some messages that he wanted these churches to know. There's these very, very personal messages that these churches, he wanted them to know. And he shared with them some things that they did good and some things that they weren't doing good. But in all of the churches that John was, was, you know, sharing this message that Jesus was giving to him and John was, you know, relaying it to these churches. He would always make this statement. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Every church, every church, every personal message to each individual church, this was always a statement that would be included in that. It didn't matter. They all were different than they all were personal, but all of them included. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, here's what he's telling them. Listen, listen, listen. Because God has something to say that he has prepared for you. Listen. I, maybe you're like me right now. I'm doing a lot of talking and, and I'm, my prayers are a lot of talking and, and I, I don't know how, how much I've really just stopped and quieted down and listened. In Cornelius' house, they were, as Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Why? It was, it was to those who were listening to Peter's message. Because God has something to say that he has prepared for you. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way to this church in Ephesus. Look what he tells them. He says, for we are his workmanship. We, in other words, we are God's created, amazing, unique, wonderful design. We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. For good works. We're to, understanding what Jesus has done for us and therefore we're to express that in our love for others, which God, look what he says, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You are his workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus to do good for others others that God has prepared beforehand so that you will learn and you will begin to walk in those things that God has prepared for you. To the one of the churches, the last church that John wrote this letter to, to relay the message of Jesus to this church, this church of Laodicea. Laodicea means lukewarm church. And he's reminding this lukewarm church. They're neither hot, they're neither cold, they're just in the middle. They're sort of this fence-sitting kind of faith that they had and trust in God. And he tells them this. Look what he tells them. He says, behold, lukewarm Christian, lukewarm church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and, and will dine with him and he with me. Jesus is standing at the door right now, right now, right now. He's standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. And if you can hear, hear his voice, open the door. Open the door to him. Open the door to him. Why? Because he has something to say 
to you. He wants to come in and he wants to dine with you. He wants, to, you, want, he wants you to experience life with him and growth with him and, and understand abundancy with him and grace with him. That's what he wants to do. So he says, listen, listen, in order for that to happen, you got to hear my voice. You got to open the door and you got to invite him in. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask God right now in some time, in some time, this week, I want you to ask God some questions, okay? Here's, what, here's one of the questions I want you to ask God. What area of my life can I strengthen? God, you're preparing something for me right now. God, what area in my life can I strengthen right now? What can, I, what can be stronger? God, point out an area in my life that's, that's weak. It's not where it should be. It's kind of lukewarm and, and you're just kind of knocking at the, that door and you're wanting to, me to invite you into that area of my life because it, it needs to be strengthened. God, what area of my life can I strengthen? Another question I want you to ask is, who can I encourage? Who can I encourage? For Peter, he was willing to encourage Cornelius. For Cornelius, he was willing to encourage his family and, 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 and his friends and, and anybody that was willing to hear Peter's message of hope and grace and forgiveness. So what about you? Who can, who can you encourage? And the, and the third question I want to ask you is this. How can I meet a need? How can I meet a need? And I, I, maybe I know you're limited your mobility is, is limited. I get it. But maybe it's just a phone call. Maybe it's a text message or maybe it's just dropping off a package, whatever that may be. But who, who, how can I meet? Maybe it's somebody in your home. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. I don't know who that is for you. But I know this, is that God has something that he has to say to you. And what we need to do right now is we just need to quiet down and we need to listen. And what happened in Cornelius' house is that those that were listening, the spirit was poured over them. And I hope that right now you take this opportunity to just quiet down and to be still and to listen to what God has to say to you because I am convinced that God has prepared something for you. And it may be perplexing, but whenever, when has that ever been any different? When God is preparing something it's always unique, but it's always new, and it's always better, and it's always great. One final question that I want to leave you with, and that's this. Who are you listening to more? Who are you listening to more? I know social media is still going strong. I know Netflix is still streaming stuff. I know, you know that there's so many different things out there, news outlets, media, tele, all these things. Listen, listen. My question is for you is this. My challenge really for you is this. Who are you listening to more? Are you listening to news outlets, social media, television stuff, streaming stuff, or, or, or? Are you listening to what God has to say to every single one of us, that God has something to say and it's us for us to just say, I'm listening. God, I'm listening because I know that you're preparing in me something that's better than I've ever experienced before. God, I'm listening.